by for Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with your host, Drew Kirby. Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors is on your radio and on demand 24-7. Right inside the radio station's app, all you have to do is click the on-demand button. And when you click that on-demand button every week, you're going to hear information from our friends at Wyoming Game and Fish Department uh, because they're the backbone of what the reason was that we wanted to start the show is so that information could be uh, provided and given to hunters and outdoor folk all throughout the area. And Janet Millick, you've been here from the beginning, and one of the things that we've talked about quite a little bit, because it's something that is affecting a lot of the herds in Wyoming, and that's the chronic wasting disease. That's right, Drew. Um, We have been concentrating a lot, the Game and Fish Department, on chronic wasting disease in cervids. So deer, elk, moose in Wyoming to really try and and make sure that the public is aware of of what we're trying to do um, on management of CWD, which right now is just learning more about the disease on the ground. And so with us today, we have quite a few of the experts here in the Casper region. So we have Matt Heisinga, who is our Douglas District wildlife biologist, which kind of um, is pretty important for us here in Casper because we did a lot of our testing in that area. We have Justin Binfit, who is our wildlife management coordinator. So he oversees the, the entire Casper region, which, as you know, goes clear from Sundance down to Lusk and over to, to Douglas and back to Casper. And then we have our statewide kind of chronic wasting disease expert who is the laboratory supervisor for our wildlife health lab out of Laramie, Hank Edwards. Guys, we do appreciate you coming on and and any information that um, you can give us today, I think is going to help a lot of folks. There were a lot of samples taken, Hank, and really it's it's great that that everybody was uh, participating and, and giving those samples in. Right. So last year we collected a total of, uh, let's see, 6,702 samples. That was from all species and all categories. So in other words, those that were taken by hunters, those that were collected by agency personnel, and then road kills, we looked at those as well. So that is almost exactly, maybe just a touch less than we surveyed in 2021. So yeah, a really good uh, survey this year. That's an amazing amount of people that are helping us in this program. And so just a huge thanks to all of those hunters who have really made the effort. So 6,702 people made an effort to get us a sample from their deer or elk or moose. When did you guys start uh, looking at the samples that were coming in? I mean, did you start looking as soon as they started coming in? Yep, we start analyzing as soon as those arrive in the laboratory. And generally, we can turn those around in in about a week once they get here. So, um, yeah, we've already analyzed all the tissue samples that were collected last fall. And um, now we're just starting to go back and look at the data and how CWD is affecting some of our herds. Does the numbers that you have collected over this year compare to 2021? as far as uh, what you're seeing? They do compare. We're starting to see more positives uh, this year than maybe we saw last year. 
that's a trend we've been seeing over the last 10 years where CWD slowly increases each year. Um, but last year we saw just a little bit more of a bump in the number of positives than we've seen previously. Are you seeing a, a lot of the positives more from one certain area or is it just statewide that the positive results are, are coming back? That's a good question. We certainly have a few areas in the state where we see more positives, but for the most part, I can say that um, almost all the state has got some level of CWD. So really, uh, we're getting those positives from all of the state. Do you see a species that has a higher rate of the CWD or are they pretty equal? Certainly both mule deer and white-tailed deer, we see a higher incidence of CWD than we do in a lot of our elk herds. Um, most of our elk herds, the prevalence is, is low, uh, so around 5%. Although we do have some elk herds that are approaching 15 or 16%, but for the most part, elk are much lower prevalence than, than both our mule deer and white-tailed deer. Do we see uh, the CWD in antelope at all? We don't. Uh, we only see CWD in the servants, so that's mule deer, white-tailed deer, elk, moose, um, we don't see it in bighorn sheep or pronghorn or, or any of those other species. Uh, how did the, the moose samples look? They, I mean, there's only a, a fewer amount of, of those that have probably been turned in, but does it look yeah, like it's high too? We actually sample quite a few moose every year, and to date we've only had one positive moose in the state, and that was way back in, uh, I think, about 2008. We've not had another positive moose since then. Colorado sees more positive moose um, in hunter-killed animals, but um, we just haven't seen that yet. Drew, um, just to, to take a moment to point out to listeners, all of this information that Hank is talking about is posted on our website. You can go to the Wildlife in Wyoming tab and scroll down towards the bottom and there will be a button that talks about um, wildlife health and disease. And if you click on that, that'll start taking you through some of the chronic wasting disease information. And, and they have great heat maps that talk a little bit and show um, you know, viewers where, um, you know, maybe CWD is concentrated a little bit more heavy in other areas as far as uh, the prevalent, the prevalence of, of the animals. So just kind of keep in mind all of that. Matt, you were out on the ground most of the last season. And since we are in a mandatory uh, check station area, uh, how did everybody respond to giving in samples? Yeah, so this was the first year we'd use the mandatory sampling in this area. The biggest challenge we had was just getting the word out to the public on the mandatory sampling. So non-residents were there applying for the area. It was pretty easy to get a list and email those out, send information to them. And the biggest thing we had was with residents with a general hunt area, we have no way of knowing who's going to be hunting the area. So we tried to utilize different methods to try to get the word out and let people know where they could get their sample taken, where we'd be at and try to make it as easy as possible. And I ran a check station most of our deer season and had really good success with it. We got way more samples than we ever have in the area. And most hunters were really happy to help. There's a few that were a little upset that they didn't know about it or didn't want to stop as usual. But for the most part, it went really well, I thought. 
how how long of a stop is it when they stop in to see you from the time they pull up to the time they pull away? It really depends. Sometimes we can get backed up, but if there's just one person there, usually they're in and out five or ten minutes. It's not a big deal. We get done pretty quick. Do you foresee that uh, more people, if they know about it, will not have a problem with with stopping in just from what you've collected? Yeah. The more we get the word out, the more people know about it. We have people that were coming to the check station specifically just to come get the samples taken. And so they were really good about wanting to seek us out and get their sample done and and move on. You know, Drew, sometimes it can actually be the opposite. Sometimes when we when we set up a presence and, and have a bunch of sampling in an area, then we create an expectation that we're going to be there every year. And we get some folks that, uh, oh, hey, you guys weren't there this year. Where were you? Well, you know, the truth is we kind of have limited manpower and resources and we have to focus, you know, strategically in some herds in, in some years and we can't be everywhere every every year. So for the most part, though, folks are pretty happy to accommodate us. What do you guys do in in a, a check station stop like that? I mean, are you taking the sample there if they want or are they just giving it in or sending it in? Yeah, at the check station, we kind of do everything. We look at licenses, make sure everything matches up. Basically, anything we any kind of harvest data we can get, we collect at check station. And with the CWD sample, we'll take everything there and we'll submit it for them. And all they have to do is look up the results on their account online. Awesome. Matt, Janet, Justin, Hank, hang on just a second. We're going to take a quick break and back more with Wyoming Game and Fish Department about chronic wasting disease on Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. And we're back, Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with our friends at Wyoming Game and Fish Department talking CWD, chronic wasting disease. Hank is from the State Lab. And Hank, how long does it take you guys to go through some of these samples? Well, it's both tough as well as time consuming. How's that for an answer for you? So there's eight of us that work in the laboratory during CWD testing season. And um, it really is a huge flurry of activity. So the test itself is an ELISA test where we just take a couple tissue sections from each lymph node and run that through the run that through the ELISA test. Um, the ELISA test itself only takes four to six hours, but all the data entry and the tissue processing and everything else makes it so when we have an army of eight people, we can test somewhere in the neighborhood of three to 500 samples a day. It all depends on, on if the wheels stay on the cart, but for the most part, um, um, we can crank through as many samples as, as, like I said, three to 500 a day. And and you're doing that throughout the, from September all the way to February? Our busiest times are the 1st of February, the, first, the 15th of February, um, early November, we'll have a few big crunch days uh, and then even into the 15th of November. After that, uh, our testing really starts to drop off. And as you can imagine, when in early in the season, we're testing mostly deer. Later in the season, we're testing mostly elk. So um, we start right around the 1st of September and we'll wrap up the most of our testing by the, um, the end of January. When you guys finish up, you have 6, 000, over 6,000 samples are are they discarded? Is it uh, you know is it kept for future reference? Oh, we're we're incredible hoarders when it comes to tissue samples. So we save all of our tissue samples. Uh, we have a large freezer, and so we have the last 
<laughs> six or seven years of surveillance tissues, uh, and those are all saved back. So we'll keep those for research purposes. Uh, for instance, if we wanted to go back and look at those lymph nodes and see how many deer or elk may have been exposed to COVID, we could actually analyze those, those tissue samples and determine that. So um, we keep them as long as we can until essentially we've, we've run out of room. So as we're to the point of the year where we'll be setting the, the seasons for the upcoming year, uh, how do you guys feel check stations will be in, uh, in 2023? In regards to chronic wasting disease, the, the wildlife management coordinators and biologists across the state are currently in the process of setting up those, those areas. And here in the Casper region, both Justin and Matt can talk a little bit more about that. But, but looking at you know, the numbers, we try to get 200 samples in each area before we move on. And so, so looking at what we're facing for the next year could be interesting. Yeah, Drew, so we'll, we'll be kind of, like I said earlier, it's kind of a traveling roadshow in terms of we select different herds in different years for our, um, you know, kind of redoubling our surveillance efforts in those areas. So, you know, in part, thanks to a large part to mandatory sampling, like over in the Douglas country, we will probably continue to sample there again next year, but we probably will not have the need for mandatory sampling. So that's just to augment that sample size to get us up and over that 200 mark that Janet was talking about. And we did really, really well on elk in the Laramie range. So probably won't need to, to do anything there for the next few years. Um, we'll continue some efforts up in the Black Hills. And uh, um, we may actually be looking at um, pulling some samples in, uh, in a deer herd north of, of Casper and Glen Rock. The obvious thing is, though, that every year some people can uh, submit their own sample. It doesn't have to be in a mandatory area. If you want to help these studies, then submitting is the best way to go. We've always committed to the public and will continue to do so that that we'll test any of your harvested animals that you want. So we do get a, a fair amount of folks that bring us their animal for testing because they have... Um, uh, you know, they want to know if the animal tests positive or not before they consume it. So we do get folks that, that bring that in just unsolicited. But, you know, for our purposes, um, when as we move around and we're trying to, to meet these sample goals there, that's where, really, where we're really focusing our, our efforts there. And that's where we're going to ask the public to kind of go above and beyond and, and help us bring, you know, bring samples in. Janet, when when is it in April that the seasons will be set? Is it the seventeenth? Seventeenth and eighteenth of um, April, all of the the seasons will be set. But we will have this information out to the public by June first. We'll have all of our brochures made that talk about which areas are going to be our focal areas, which areas in the state might be mandatory, um, and so all of the CWD information will be out by June first. And that just gives our managers a little bit of extra time after season setting to really make sure that we're headed in the right direction and then we'll have that information out to the public then. And in addition to that, across the state, um, keep your eyes out because a lot of different areas across the state will do little trainings for the public where they can bring, you know, hunters or outfitters in and really teach them how to do some of the sampling. It can be a little bit gnarly because oftentimes we're working on roadkill deer or something along those lines. So, so bring your nose plug as well. But it really is a, a great opportunity to kind of figure out if you want to take the sample yourself um, so that you can submit it. And, and we, you know, have some requirements along with that that we suggest you hold on to your 
your carcass a little bit longer, just so in case you're like me and you can't take the sample correctly, you want to make sure that that you can go back and actually get the right lymph node. But you know, things like that are are going to be you know interesting to the public and keep your eyes out across the state and hopefully we can learn more. Well, it sure has been a very interesting year. And of course, uh, we're really, really close just a week away from the season setting in in Wyoming. And uh, CWD is, is going to be around for a while. And, and it's cool to see all the people that have contributed to help the research. Thank you to all the hunters that participate in our chronic wasting disease monitoring and surveillance program. It's huge for us. It helps us on the science end. It helps us look at the herd health. And that is really what we're concerned about is making sure that all of our deer, elk, and moose in Wyoming are are doing good and, and maybe in the future look at some management actions that may help us control chronic wasting disease. Awesome. Janet, Mac, Justin, and Hank, thank you guys so much. And and we're looking forward to hearing how the commission meetings go and what the seasons are going to be like, especially with the heck of a winter that we have had and the impact it's had on a lot of the wildlife here in Wyoming. We continue with Wyoming Game and Fish in just a bit with Brian from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. And welcome back to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Welcome in Brian from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. And Brian, this week has been a little different. And Brian, there were a, a couple of interesting days uh, thanks to that big snow we just got. Yeah, and unfortunately, it wasn't a day off that we could do anything fun. We were all shoveling snow. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. My back kind of sore after the last couple of days. But And with the snowfall this late in the year, people should know that you're still selling things like snowshoes and whatnot. Yeah, you know, it, uh, it's amazing how late in the season that we're still selling muck boots and danners and uh, bog boots and snowshoes. I mean, all that kind of stuff that you think that this time of year we'd pretty much be done with. It's uh, it, was, it was still pretty popular. You know, it's just a couple of years ago that that big snowstorm came through in March, but a snowstorm this size in April, man, that's kind of wild. Yeah, obviously the most snow that we've seen in the area for a long time. But, you know, I guess if we have something to be uh, thankful for is that, you know, the trees weren't all leaving out. And uh, I remember a few years back, we had a big, heavy, wet snow kind of like this, but the trees had been leaving out and budding out. And man, it just took down all kinds of trees across town. Now, we've talked over the last few weeks about how we're going to have lots of water and the fishing is going to be pretty good on high water years like this. Talking to the game and fish and the powers that be, you know, they're they're predicting pretty much every one of our reservoirs is going to be full again. So even Pathfinder that's, you know, had kind of a record low season last year. Uh, and typically when that happens, you know, the fishing tends to be fantastic that, you know, on those, on those high water years. So, um, yeah, lots of, lots to look forward to. And I think within the next two weeks, we're going to see, you know, quite a few reservoirs opening up. Brian, it was just a couple of months ago, you went to a show in Dallas. And since we're going to have such a great fishing year this year, when you were at that show, are there any kind of products or uh, product lines that really jump out at you 
as a new product on the market that you guys are going to carry? You know, almost every one of the manufacturers out there has something new, right? You know, Berkeley, uh, Pure Fishing, they came out with a new crankbait called the Money Badger that uh, seems pretty cool. Uh, there's a bunch of different plastics and that kind of stuff that are out there. And so, I mean, there's everybody always has their new colors, a little bit you know, new and improved 2.0 versions of everything. Um, we're kind of excited. We've got uh, a new line of rain gear coming in. So, you know, if we have a, a wet spring, kind of like we've had a really wet winter, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a good set of rain gear is probably going to be really important. You know, Brian, you talk about rain gear, but I've heard stories that we may not be out of the snow clear yet. We may get another bout of snow. And you've talked in the past about making sure that you have your supplies on the boat, dry clothes and dry bags and your camping gear to have the dry bag so that you're really prepared for anything that comes about. And that's one of the great things about Rocky Mountain Discount Sports is you guys are a sporting goods store, but not the kind of sports like baseball and things. Right. Yeah. We're definitely not the ball sport kind of place. You know, we do have tennis balls for the dog, but, uh, but you know, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, and it's time to kind of gear up for that kind of stuff. I was, you know, we've been talking about boat prep and I, I went through my dry bag and I took all my stuff out. So it would air out. And, you know, I noticed I had, you know, some, some knit gloves in there and I've got a beanie and some warm like hats and that kind of stuff. And just kind of stuff that you would normally layer up for in that, those spring months. So, uh, now's a good time to get it washed get it cleaned, get it ready for the next season. Yeah, and hopefully that season very, very, very soon. Of course, if you ever have any questions, you can hit us up in the radio stations app. And if you have needs that you may wonder if Rocky Mountain Discount Sports has, rocky-mountain-sports.com. Their new website is up and running, and you can find out all the things that they carry, whether it's for camping, outdoor clothing or footwear, fishing, hunting, Whatever you need in the outdoors, they've got you covered at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. Stop on in and see them CY Avenue in Casper or online rocky-mountain-sports.com. We continue Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors with Brian in just a bit as we talk spring fishing and what it's looking like. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. And welcome back. It's Drew along with Brian Woodward from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. And Brian, we've been talking and hoping that we were about to be able to get out on the water and do some fishing. And really, our our dreams and hopes were dashed a little bit last week with that big snowstorm. Yeah, you know, a lot of us had just gotten the snow off our boat covers, you know, from last week. Now we're doing it again. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, anxiously awaiting to get that boat on the water. With fishing season just around the corner and flooding season possible, high waters, uh, we talked just a minute ago, touched on it very quickly anyway, about the high water and why there's such good fishing years. Is there a reason behind that? Is it the fact that the water is spread to areas that it hasn't been, so maybe feeding is a little better? Well, in reservoirs like Pathfinder, you know, with the low water years, you know, a lot of those trees and bushes and that kind of stuff have seeded onto the onto the low low water shoreline so as those things start growing and the water comes up it gives uh, more space for minnows and the bug hatch and that kind of stuff so it it adds a little more forage to the to the water so those fish tend to feed a little bit more they get they grow a little bit faster um so that definitely helps with with uh you know this water level kind of conditions do you fish them any differently than than you would normally i mean obviously they're hungry either way 
Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, rule of thumb for me, especially for walleye fishing, is that when the water's rising, you fish shallow, and when the water's dropping, you know, the the fish, I think, kind of panic, and they drop a little bit deeper. So, uh, again, trusting your electronics. If you're not seeing them out there in 15 to 20 feet, you know, fish shallow. Sometimes you can't see them up shallow, but, you know, grab that rod and pitch up shallow and see what happens. When you're thinking about where to go fishing for the day, I know you like to go to Glendo, and some people like to go to Pathfinder, even up to Keyhole, but Keyhole didn't have the winter we had and may not have the water levels. So does that factor in to where you're deciding to go? Maybe the lower level reservoirs aren't your game no i mean i think um your guy just has to kind of be comfortable with what what they're where they're at and what they're doing you know some of the reservoirs like keyhole maybe don't see as big a fluctuation in water levels as glendo and and pathfinder do maybe the the repeated history of where you're going to find fish throughout the year are, are the same uh whereas there might be a little different at glendo so if a water level is 10 feet higher this same time as it was last year you have to kind of think about transitions and what the fish are doing what the shoreline looks like where the where maybe a, a new gravel bed or a new flat spot would might be where maybe the fish would be moving to, to spawn where maybe before they were down down shoreline another you know 20 20 feet vertical feet of uh water so um, and then, you know, with the runoff and that kind of stuff, you have to kind of look at just the conditions in general. You know, we're, we've talked about, you know, with this runoff that's going to be happening, you know, we're going to see a lot of muddy water and a lot of, a lot of stained water, uh, which typically is good, especially in the spring, because that muddy water tends to warm up a little quicker. So once you find that water temperature where maybe the fish are spawning or that, that 50, 55 degree water temp, typically like you might find that the maybe the surface of the water is is actually muddy but you know watch your electronics sometimes you can see see the the difference where the mud is only going down three to five feet so you can feel a little more comfortable fishing in the in that stained water you know last year we were a little bit low on glendo and pathfinders some of these reservoirs and when it comes to spawning the fish usually go back to the same spots but with a fact that there's water expanding and, and will be higher this year, will they still try to go back to the same areas or will they explore new opportunities? You know, I think they're, for the most part, a creature of habit, and they tend to follow uh, currents a little bit. So, um, you know, a reservoir like Glendo, there's definitely some main lake spawners. You know, there's certain areas of the south end of that lake that has some good gravel beds and some some rock structures and uh, some areas that definitely will hold those spawning fish. They don't all, you know, migrate upriver into the current, but there will be some fish that will migrate, you know, probably all the way up to the power plant. A couple of months ago, you were talking about maybe exploring new places to fish, and one of those places was near the power plant. Now, is that an option for fishing, or are there obstacles that kind of get in the way there? Sometimes that that particular part of the river doesn't doesn't have the depth of it to really hold walleyes for any length of time, so. Uh, you know, we used to, we used to hit the miracle mile quite a bit this time of year and it's fantastic trout fishing, especially this time of year. Uh, a lot of drift boats, you got to kind of work around them a little bit, but we would just kind of look for some deeper pools. So, you know, as those fish were coming out of Pathfinder, a lot of times they'd run up river a little bit, and then you just kind of find pockets and structure and, and shorelines that would be conducive to, to spawning walleyes and where they can, uh, you know, 
feel feel safe without you know feel, th- thinking that the water is going to drop and just leave them leave them up on shore, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, really, just get out and throw a line. You know, that's the best way. Just experience and see w- what you're seeing, where you're catching fish, and you know, you're going to be successful catching something probably. What about if the water is muddy? I mean, that obviously changes the game a little bit as well. I mean, are you going for a certain kind of color or a certain kind of bait to kind of combat the color of the water? Yeah, you know, this time of year, it's it's uh, a lot of guys are running a jig and a minnow, you know, just a kind of a standard basic presentation. Sometimes they want it moved fast. Sometimes they just want that minnow drug across the bottom. There's no reason why a guy can't pitch a crankbait, pull cranks, you know, have troll them, whatever you want to do. Uh, with the muddy water, sometimes the worm bite tends to get pretty good. You know, when that runoff starts hitting, you know, rising up on that shoreline, a lot of times those bugs get washed into the river. So, you know, even, even floating a worm down those, you know, can be productive. What about the color game? Are you looking at certain colors? It's one of those things, you see whatever the fish like that day, right? So a lot of times, I mean, I, I like running just a chartreuse, you know, jig head just to start, um, throwing a minnow on it and seeing seeing what happens. And as I'm fishing, watching my graph and see if I'm seeing more fish or if they're active, not active, you know, hopefully you get a bite, you find out, okay, well, they want it a little bit slower or no, they want it popped a little bit, or sometimes you just got to drag it. So uh, just kind of paying attention to what's going on. But uh, I, I tend to like the chartreuse colors to start and then kind of mix it up from there. We're just a couple of weeks away from the Tough Man, which is on the 29th of April. Uh, and then the Wyoming Walleye Stampede is just a couple of weeks after that. And during these tournaments, people come from all over. They come from South Dakota and Nebraska and Colorado. Do you feel at this stage with the water levels and everything we're going through right now, will the typical fishermen that live here in Wyoming and always on the water have an advantage or will people be kind of in the same boat? I think everybody's going to be up in the air. You know, I mean, we're, we're not sure what the water is going to do. We're not sure when the ice is going to come off. So we're not sure what the water temperature is, what the water clarity is. Um, those fish move. I mean, obviously a guy that lives in the area that's on the lake more often might have more of an advantage, but, um, yeah, I mean, certain, certain reservoirs like Alcova, you know, that one opens up fairly quick and the tough man tournament, you know, a lot of guys run up the Canyon hoping for one of those big spawning females that goes up. But, um, you know, there's a lot of people that fish the main lake cause there's main lake spawners on, on Alcova as well. And, you know, it pays for the largest trout too. So, I mean, you're going to have some guys that are out there just walleye fishing. You're going to have some guys just out trolling in the middle of the lake, hoping for a big brown and, and cash, in, cash in on the largest trout pot. So there's definite options. And hopefully we don't see any more snow like we just saw that really delays it anymore. And everybody's chomping at the bit, especially to get out on the lakes and, and the river to do some fishing and get into these tournaments. The, again, the tough man coming at the end of April. But then... The uh, Wyoming Walleye Stampede is in the first part of May, and if folks are looking to get into that tournament, how can they reach out and get in contact with you to have an application filled out and, and enter? Well, uh, wyomingwalleyestampede.com is our website, and they can download the application and the brochure from there. Uh, they can also stop in at Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, and they can pick up an application we have there on the counter with the rest of our literature, um, or they can just give us a call. 
All righty. Thanks again. Uh, Rocky Mountain Discount Sports being a big part of this show. Brian, thank you so much. And the new website is up, rocky-mountain-sports.com. All kinds of information, and you can find out anything and everything that you need to know about Rocky Mountain Discount Sports right there on the brand new website. All right, Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors will continue. We obviously had a little snow this week, so it kind of threw off our scheduling of guests. But we're going to look back at one of our previous guests, Scotty McCreary. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. I am your host, Drew Kirby. Thank you so much for tuning in. So we're going to look back on our very first guest on this program way back last year, Scotty McCreary, country music artist, American Idol winner. So without further ado, we look back with Scotty McCreary. Scotty, I got to tell you, I'm sorry that I haven't been following on Instagram. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's A-OK. I'm rarely on there anyway, so <laughs> no worries. Hey, you got some new music coming out that just a couple of months ago, I was talking to someone in your office and said it may be the best Scotty McCreary music that has ever hit the airwaves. Oh, my goodness. They're really uh, setting the bar. Setting the bar, I guess we got to try and make that happen. But uh, we're excited about it. It's We've had three years to work on it and more time than ever, honestly, to pick up a guitar and write songs and stuff. So um, I've been listening to it for a while just by myself in the truck and on planes and stuff. So I'm, I'm just excited to share it with everybody. Listening to some of the songs that you already have out, you get very personal when you go into your songwriting. Yeah. I mean, that's basically where I write all my songs from. It's just personal experience. And, um, it's what I know, what I love, what I feel, you know, it's, I, I'm, some people can pull stuff out of thin air and write an amazing song that, you know, that's, that's not me. I gotta, I gotta live it. So you'll, you'll find that a lot with, with my stuff for sure. When you're out cracking cold cans and casting the uh, the line in the water, uh, man, there's nothing better than a good fishing day. Oh, dude, absolutely, absolutely. We just got back from uh, Alaska as well, and boy, oh boy, did we do that. We we fished all day and night because it's, it's light outside until you know eleven, twelve o'clock. So, um, caught ourselves some big king salmon and. We, man, it was trip of a lifetime. Now, have you ever been out here to Wyoming to uh, to do any fishing? I've been out to Wyoming. Normally, it's just for shows, though. And I, I love that area of the country. I mean, it's, you can't beat it. So, I'd love to get out there, hunt, fish, all that good stuff, and fly fish. I love to fly fish too. And it, to me, it's it's a little better than just sitting on the dock bass fishing and stuff because you're actually like constantly in motion and constantly doing something you know well good news we are one of the number one destinations for trout fishing in the world people love to come to casper wyoming to to do some uh some fishing and uh, we invite you to come on out and, and see us anytime you're in the area be there in a heartbeat to show me the honey holes well scotty man thank you so much and uh and we look forward to the same truck hitting shelves everywhere on the uh, the 17th of september and gonna be huge and we look for big things from scotty and fishing wise come out and see us hey i'll be there man can't wait for y'all to hear the music and we'll get some good fishing in here soon man appreciate it Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with Drew Kirby. If you have a question, want to make a comment, or have an idea for a show topic, message us on the My Country mobile app.
Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors.